Ended is a podcast of Tennessee Voices about mental health, featuring stories of people who have overcome mental health challenges, as well as those who have helped people overcome mental health challenges. This podcast is about authenticity, and it's intended to give a voice to those who are passionate about mental well-being. We hope that by sharing stories, listeners understand mental health and just how important it is in our day-to-day lives, and they will help us reduce stigma. We want you to know that so many who have struggled with mental health can and did overcome their challenges. And if you are struggling, you can too. I'm your host, Ricky Harris, CEO of Tennessee Voices. And with me is my favorite co-host, Will Voss, COO of Tennessee Voices. Welcome to our podcast. Let's get candid. Thank you to our Candid sponsors who made this episode possible. The Omni Family of Services is a multi-state human services agency serving adults and children. Through a trauma-competent lens, they provide a continuum of care, including foster care, family preservation, behavioral health, and primary care services, focused on helping kids, families, and the communities they live in strong and healthy. To learn more about the Omni Family of Services or to contact an office near you, there's a link provided in this podcast description, along with the contact email if you or your business would like to sponsor an episode of Can Did. Welcome to this episode of the Can Did podcast. I'm Ricky Harris, your host, and my co host here with me. I'm Will Voss. Hello, hello. The one, the only. Will Voss, COO, Tennessee Voices. Woo. It's <laughs> a title. Um, we are excited. I'm excited. I'm personally very excited about today. I know that um, I've been looking forward to this interview for um, a few weeks now. We have today on our podcast, Chef Ataya goes by Chef Leonard, uh, middle school pastor at Long Hollow Church. And I'm super excited because I had a chance to hear your story and it shook me. It was nothing I had ever heard before. And um, I'm excited for you to tell our listeners today that story. But first, give us a quick intro. Tell us your family. Your like, give us the you know the quick stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I'm originally from Miami, Florida. Uh, born and raised. Um, didn't really know the South existed until I, I got to the South. Uh, and uh, my grandma grew up in Anniston, Alabama. Um, well, my, my grandma's from Anniston, Alabama. Uh, and so the only kind of taste I had of the South was kind of going to visit her a little bit, but not really knowing um, the true kind of uh, the heart of the South, I guess you could say, until I moved here. Um, but yeah, man, my whole life was spent in Miami. All my family is still down there. Uh, we we moved to Nashville in 2016. Uh, we have three kids. Uh, one, one is Malachi. He's the oldest. He's eight years old. Uh, the middle child is Jalen. She's five and uh, going on 21. Uh, and Scarlett is two uh, going on 40. So, yeah, we just have a, a, just a bunch of this. The two-year-old, for some reason, is an old soul. We're very calm. We can't figure her out yet. We're like, man, what? You know, um, her middle name is Ella. So I think that has something to do with is a really old Southern name. So maybe she that was my grandmother's <laughs> name. It's all right. Okay. It's all right. That was my grandmother's name. That's so cool. Okay. So she was named after my grandmother. After she passed, we named her um, after her. So that's pretty cool. Okay. So uh, yeah, man. So we, we moved to Nashville, 2016. Love it here. Um, love raising our family here. Uh, and then we got here the first year. We we kind of got the, the taste of the South because uh, man, we had the best of both worlds. We had some interesting experiences um, being in um, the place of Cotton Town. So we had some interesting experiences there. And then uh, you live my, in Cotton I live in Cotton Town. Yes. Okay. All my friends are like, Steph, are you sure you want to move to Cotton Town, bro? Like, are you sure? Like the name alone. I'm like, I know, I know. <laughs> but I had, I had a friend, um, uh, a mentor who moved here before I did. And he lived in Cotton Town. So he's like, listen, I know the name could throw you off, but the people here are awesome. So I said, all right, I trust you. Um, and man, he wasn't wrong. My neighbors are amazing. They love my family. We didn't know uh, how to cut our grass with a zero turn. 
Um, huh? I push, I push them over, but we had two acres, and I'm, I'm out there for eight hours, no lie. Oh, no. <laughs> it's the whole day, and he's like, "You need some help out there." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I said, "You know what, man? I'll take it." So he cut our grass for two weeks, no charge, just did it out of kind of his yeah, and then we got a got a zero turn, and he showed me how to use it, and just. So, man, the Southern hospitality is a real thing here, and we man, we appreciate that. So, yeah. That's amazing. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. So, okay, I have to recover from that story really quick. <laughs> There's a lot there. I know. I'm just trying to, like, imagine the whole – so, Miami. Yeah. Let's talk about that seven for a second. Seventh floor of a condo overlooking the water is where we came from. <laughs> wow. No cut yeah. grass there. No, no grass at all. Do you miss the beach? Yes and no. There's a there's a hate and love dynamic there. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. Will and I were just uh we flew into Miami for work yeah. not too long ago. Yeah. Ate ate some breakfast there right on the beach. Come on. Interesting place that Miami. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> yes. Perfect place to work remotely from, I will say. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Not too bad. No, not yeah. too bad at all. <laughs> yeah, we, we did uh during COVID. The church was shut down for a little bit, as you can imagine. Um, we went to Miami and just kind of, I worked remote from Miami. So that was kind of awesome. the idea. Yeah. That's awesome. And what does your, what does your wife do, Chef? So she's a nurse. So she's uh, um, been a nurse for a few years that's now. That's awesome. Um, she's back in school to get her master's. Uh, she's going to become an NP. And she's at Union University. So we're halfway nice. through it. Halfway through, keep praying for us because that, that is tough times, but it will be so good. Yeah, it will be yeah. so good. That's incredible. Okay, so small side note: had I been a nurse when I had children, I would have been so much. I, I don't even think I would have had half the anxiety. <laughs> All of my anxiety was around their like medical safety, the medical safety. <laughs> like physical health. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so that, no that's refreshing. That. that would be very calming to have a nurse in the family with little yes. children. <laughs> yes. Now, when I'm sick, she doesn't care because she knows exactly what's going on. I'm just like, I am dying. You don't care. She's like, you have a cold. Get out of my face. I'm like, All right, you know what? I'm going to the hospital. <laughs> it's not fair. So. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, dive in. Tell us your story. Um, I know you have a really interesting story from from your name i mean even from your name yeah yeah um so my story as you can say starts back man before um i could even make my own decisions as a child um i grew up in a what you would call a black supremacist cult um and i didn't realize it was a cult until i got old enough to do research i'm like hey this doesn't seem like you know, uh, a kind of a, a, a healthy situation, and um, even the word when I call it a cult, my parents still kind of cringe. I'm like, ah, we we really, really they, they don't even like accept the term cult, and I'm mm-hmm. like, this is a cult. Um, and so what what it was is this black supremacist cult um, was called the Nation of Yahweh, and in this nation, in this cult, um, the process was um, they were telling. Um, African-Americans, hey, this is your true identity. This is who you really are. Um, and they were they were kind of giving this information in a time where um, there was still some oppression that was happening. There wasn't full, um, there wasn't full kind of like uh, liberty to do uh, certain things or, if you know, you know, they were moving towards that. Um, but, you know, th- this came at a very, you know, um, impactful time. I think the I, I, I can't remember the dates, but I think uh, this is around the time of the um, Liberty City riot down in Miami. You know, there's some some you know a lot of things that were going on, uh, which is you know, some some police brutality. You know, some different all different things are going on, and so uh, they were trying to kind of still scrambling for identity. And you know, and it can be argued that the black person, the African American, is still kind of searching for some identity. Um, but this guy, um, he called himself Yahweh Ben Yahweh. And um, basically, that means the son of God. And he decided, you know, that he was going to kind of combine and share this knowledge of um, that the black person was 
the true Israelites in the Old Testament. And so anything you read in the Old Testament about that nation of Israel, of Judah, you know, all those tribes, they were all African-American. And not just African-American, but they were the chosen priesthood. They were the chosen race. Um, And so then you move into this kind of ideology of, hey, now that Black people, we don't know who Black people are, let's understand who white people are. Um, they are the Gentiles. <laughs> they are, um, and then, you know, I remember these these Bibles that we would read. Um, it would literally depict as, you know, you know everybody in the Old Testament is Black. You know, you got Samson who had dreads. And I'm like, okay, I believe that. And then, you know, there's, you know, there's <laughs> all these different people in the Bible, the Bible Old Testament who are just Black. And then you look at um, the devil and he's depicted as this white guy. And, then, you know, that was kind of the, 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 the dynamic. It was the Blacks are chosen, white people are evil. Um, now, <laughs> um, there was this also understanding because the guy he was, he was the leader was, you know, trying to get into the political space. So he would shake hands with the mayor, but I think their underlying tone was, we still are superior, um, to, um, white people in the sense of that we are the chosen priesthood. We are the chosen race. Um. And so as I got older, you know, I, I remember going to these festivals. We, we would, you know, did everything by the Old Testament. We didn't believe in Jesus, didn't believe he was the, the, um, the, the Savior. Um, we believed that in the Old Testament, um, all things that were said were kind of like it. And everything after that New Testament was kind of written by white people, basically, because Jesus um, was a, um, a name that wasn't Jewish. Um, you know, because there's no J in the Jewish language. And that was their whole argument. You know, there was no J in the Jewish mm-hmm. language and you can't kill God. And so how do you, and so that whole trinity didn't make sense. And so they just threw out the whole New Testament completely. Old Testament, um, we follow the festivals. And so, you know, you had the Feast of Booths, um, Feast of Tabernacles. Um, we followed all those feasts together. And so we would kind of disperse and live um, in, you know, certain apartment complexes together. And then we would all come together for these giant conferences um, and rent out huge spots in Miami, balls, town halls. Um, and we have these huge feasts. And um, I remember this sitting in a crowd and it was a sea of people all wearing white and gold. They were buying up gold because they, 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 um, they saw that gold would never lose its value. So any money brought in was bought, you know, gold was bought. And then we wore these head wraps around our heads. Uh, I remember as a kid, them being super itchy, and I just have to scratch, 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 scratch. And then they would get untangled. My mom would get mad at me, slap me on my hand, and they have to wrap it again. And two minutes later, I'm scratching again, and it's coming. And she's just kind of constantly wrapping my head wrap around my head. Um, and we had these long white robes they would wear. And um, so everybody wore the same the same thing. And if you Google a picture of this guy, you'll see him wearing the same exact thing. He had a, a white head wrap and a white robe. That's what everybody wore. And so... Um, man, years went by, you know, we grew up in this cult and, um, I'm not sure of the details. My parents still are a little fuzzy on telling me everything, uh, mm-hmm. it was kind of like prying teeth. Um, <laughs> and so basically the feds came in, um, uh, they arrested him and then we, they dispersed the cult. Um, we lived, so it wasn't a compound, it was an apartment complex in the heart of Miami. Uh, but we all lived in community together. Um, so there's a lady who took care of all the kids. So I remember getting dropped off at Ima Lishabah's house. That's her name. Um, Ima means is mother. Um, Lishabah was her name. So Ima Lishabah was her name. Um, and she would feed us. Um, we ate a lot of black beans and rice um, and cornbread. That was kind of like the staple meals of what we ate. I guess it was most affordable to feed that many people. Yep. Um, and so we, we, we would uh, get dropped off at her house. My parents would go work. Uh, my mom a lot of just different odd jobs my dad was a school teacher um and he also uh, was a manager at Burger King he had like a couple different jobs um but they were kind of I think they were bringing money in and kind of you know you kind of would kind of give a percentage or all of it to the organization and that's how they were able to buy these things up well FBI comes in dismantles everything arrest this guy um the head guy um and then we end up moving out of the apartment and at that point, the festival stopped when he stopped. They were trying to do some things together, but everything kind of kind of came to a halt. Um, man, years went by. This guy was still in jail. And I remember the day when he got released from jail. 
I'll never forget my dad watching TV and seeing the report about him coming out of jail. And my dad just started jumping up and down. He's out. He's out. He's free. He's free. And I'm just like, what? What are you doing? Like, we, we, I mean, it had been years since we've been out. And he still celebrated. And um, my mom at that point was like, man, you're brainwashed. <laughs> and, you know, they, I mean, they, they were in together. And so it was like my mom, mom at that point, she had already, you know, recommitted her life to following Jesus again. Um, my mom's story is kind of crazy. She was 18 years old. She got, she was at a college in Anniston, Alabama, and a lady was on the campus talking to them about the nation of Yahweh because they were traveling the world. They were traveling the nation, kind of recruiting wow. people at college campuses, kind of giving them insight. And so my mom heard about this, was like, wow, that's amazing. Um, at 18 years old, left home, didn't tell my mom or, or grandfather where she was going and moved to Miami by herself. Didn't t- and she literally got on the phone later that week when they couldn't find her and said, hey, I'm okay, I'm safe. I've joined an organization. I'm not coming back home at 18 years old. Oh and so that, that was, that was kind of her story. And um, then her, her and my dad um, were friends. They met up. My, my dad is 15 years older than my mom. Well, yeah, 15 years older. Um, so when they met, they were just friends. And then, uh, but the way this guy operates is if he sees a certain amount of people are friends, he said, okay, you two are friends, you two are friends. He, he just decides you're going to get married. So there was no love romance. There was no, there was no like, you know, proposal. There was no like dating. There was just like, Hey, y'all are friends, y'all get married. And so they did, they got married on the stage with 15 other couples um, who were assigned to get married also um, as a custom of this guy, he would take all the babies who were born and he would name the babies. And so my name, Shepatiah, wasn't even given to me by my parents. It was given to me by this cult leader. My sister's name, Miriam, wasn't given to me by my, her parents, by the cult leader. And so we both have biblical names because um, that's how they operate. They give you biblical names. Um, and he will also change your name. <laughs> so my dad's name, uh, he, would, he would give them um, Hebrew names. So, so if your name is Joseph in English, they would change it to the Hebrew version, which is Yosef, because there's no J, so Yosef. Uh, my mom's name is Angela, and Hebrew is Haviba. And so her name was changed to Haviba. And so they would literally call you these things. Um, my, my brother's name, I have two stepbrothers. Um, they they kind of were in it a little bit um, before I was. Um, and <laughs> my my one, was, one brother's name is Tori, but my entire life, I didn't know his real name. <laughs> I called him Ben Zion my entire life. Um, and then the same thing for my, my other brother, Joseph. His name is Joseph. And so like, Joseph and Ben Zion, so I called him. And they're like, hey, we got older. We're like, oh, and they're in like their 40s, I'm in my 30s. And then they're like, hey, yeah, our name is my name is Tori. I'm like, Tori? I don't even know you. What? Like, he goes, yeah, I've been claiming Ben Zion my entire life. And so just these names that just keep, he'll just give you a different name or you know, change the Hebrew version of it. Um, and so that's a lot. I know that's a lot of the kind of process, but that was kind of like the kind of the nut um the the of of everything i mean we we uh we lived a life based off the old testament for a very long time it was very weird for my friends because i couldn't eat shellfish so i and i couldn't i couldn't eat shellfish pork um i couldn't at five o'clock on friday it's kind of the seven day adventures i have to go inside after sundown on friday um and i couldn't go out until saturday um Saturday evening. Um, so kind of practicing the um, Shabbat, you know, practicing um, uh, that. And so it was, it was uh, very interesting. We took all the, all the unleavened bread out of the house, you know, anything with flour, we took it out of the house and put it in the trunk of the car, um, ate certain foods during that time frame, um, took the communion. I mean, which is weird because my mom, at that point, my mom was trying to like, she was, again, she was still um, out of the cold following jesus but she still believed a lot of things mm-hmm. in the cult and so she was following the shabbat which i don't think is anything wrong, anything wrong with that um but then also like mixing communion and so she she kind of got into this world of the um uh the messianic jews mm-hmm. where they had this old testament kind of understanding with the new testament re- appreciation for jesus and so mm-hmm. she kind of fell in that kind of regard because she still believed in a lot of things um so yeah that's pretty much it <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. Wow.
That's a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's but, more detail than it, I heard. Yes. And, and you know, it, it's stories like that where I'll, I'll say a couple of things. One, you never know somebody's background. Um, I know here we, we, we follow, we call the system of care philosophies and principles. We talk about being family driven, youth guided, community based. And one of the other pillars is being culturally and linguistically competent. There's so much that we can learn from another all through our backgrounds. And especially to think about, well, our first mind goes to, oh, yeah, you're a pastor. You've been a Christian your whole life. <laughs> no, there's a lot more behind it. There's a lot more underneath that. So, one, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I think about, well, you take everything that you those experiences. How has that helped shape who you are today? Yeah, no, that's a great question, because I think through our experiences, like we are also shaped in, you know, the good and the bad, you know, and there's some bad you don't think, Hey, I don't mean, I don't even need that bad. Um, but I think man, because of my experiences, I have an appreciation of people's story. Um, and the reason why I kept my name, I, I had, a, I had a choice to make, you know, I'm like, all right, my parents didn't name me this guy who I don't know who God knows what he actually did behind the closed doors. He named me. Do I want to keep this? Um, and it's weird because I had to make the same decision with my dad, you know, because my dad's last name was Warren and my mom's last name was Leonard. <clears throat> and um, forever, I, I've been kind of under the idea and I still don't really know the true answer. Again, my parents are like pulling teeth. Um, I'm like, why did I get my mom's last name? Like, like, like my talk to my dad, like, how you didn't care? You didn't want me to be a Warren? My dad's last name was Warren. Um, but legally, it's Leonard. But all through all through school, in my yearbook, on my football jersey, everything is worn. Everything's worn. Elementary school, like my entire life, Shepatiah Warren is who I have been. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, um, and I went to graduate high school, and they're looking at me like, uh, "You don't exist, so you can't graduate." I'm like, "What do you mean? Like, we mean you don't exist? Like, Shepatiah Warren does not exist. We can't find any legal records of him." And birth certificate, social security card, like nothing's matching up. Um, your last name is legally Leonard. I'm like, what? You didn't <laughs> even go, know? I didn't know. I didn't know. And so I go, I go to my parents. I'm like, hey, I can't graduate because I don't exist. They're like, what? <laughs> and they're like, I'm like, my last name is Leonard. They're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Um, so, and I, I'm like, nah, I, the understanding I have is like, when the FBI came or my dad was kind of, I guess, rising in the ranks of the cult and my mom didn't want to have us kind of tied to him if anything ever happened. So they couldn't take us away from him. Yeah. And so she like, Hey, these are my kids. They have my last name kind of deal. Um, wow. So Leonard has been my last name forever. I had no idea, but anything, any records, my, my tests, Scantrons, everything has always been worn. Everything, 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 everything. And so it's just wild. Scantron. Like, Scantron. Y'all remember Scantron? <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember Scantron. Yes, yes. So That's beautiful. Um, man, oh. it's just wild. And, yeah, so I say that to say um, my identity, I had to make a choice. Do I want to keep this name? You know, my first name wasn't for me. Didn't know my last name until I was graduating high school. Like, so I had an identity crisis. I'm like, hey, who am I? Um, and my wife was like, all right, are we going to be Leonard or are we going to be Warren? Because I got to pick a last name. <laughs> like, and so, because she's like, I'm, I'm taking on a new last name, but which one are you going to take? So I asked my dad, like, do you care if I become a Warren? Like, like I'm willing to switch my last name. I've been Warren my entire life. Um, do you care? Do you want me to be Warren or are you okay with me staying Leonard? And he goes, do whatever you want to do. And I, I deep deep down wanted him to stay, become a Warren. Because it, it's his legacy, you know? Yeah. Um, he has two other sons, and so I'm guessing that's why he didn't. He was like, you know, I have two other sons who are making babies. You know, you can be whatever you want. Um, I deep down wanted him to say, yes, I want you to be a ward. But when he said he didn't care, I was like, all right, I'll stay a Leonard. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to keep my first name and my last name because they both have so much history behind just the stories of those two names. And it's my story. It's my journey. It's my experience. And so mm-hmm. it's it shaped me to appreciate the stories and other people. It's helped me to appreciate the names of people, the meanings of names. Um, it, it's helped me to look at a culture and say, man, I 
deeply understand. I would deeply want to understand. And that wanting to understand is what you don't find a lot of. Um, people want to assume they're right a lot. And, you know, the culture today, um, you assume you're right until you're proven wrong. Um, and even when you prove it wrong, you got to go through a lot a lot, a lot, a lot to kind of really show me that I'm wrong. And I, maybe a couple of years down the road, I may, you know, admit, yeah, maybe I didn't have it all right. But you're never ever going to get wrong as coaches. And so I think that's that posture is just toxic. It's just unhealthy in relationships. It's unhealthy in life. It's unhealthy in business. I mean, just every aspect of life, that posture of I'm right and I don't want to understand or learn from anything or anybody is just, it's just horrible. So that's how it kind of helped. It's helped me kind of understand. You know, my story has helped me a little bit just with people and loving people, I think. Yeah. So and, that and helps loving yourself. And loving yourself. Yeah. 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 Because that part, I mean, you talked about I had, to, I had to figure out my identity. And unlike most people, you had some choices in, in your identity at, yeah. at a stage in your life where you were like, do I want to keep this name? Do I want to stay in yeah. this thing? Or do I want to do I, what? Where, what led you to where you are now? How did you make those decisions that led you to now being a middle school pastor? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Um, well, there was a little, there was confusion. I'm just, <laughs> I just uh, there was some, a lot of confusion of like those years. And um, I remember Jeff Borton, the guy who's who kind of got me here at Long Hollow. He's our um, our mission pastor now at Long Hollow. And Jeff um, was was a kind of my real like a father figure mentor. Uh, my dad wasn't around. My dad was a provider. My dad was a hard worker. Um, but there's no like relationship like, hey, let's talk about life. Let's talk about girls. Like he asked me a couple questions. He said he wanted to make sure that I like girls and he wanted to make sure um, that I worked hard. That's all he cared about. Uh-huh. And so that relationship there wasn't really, de- there was no depth to it. Um, so Jeff stepped in and he was kind of that emotional, like, hey, feelings and and tears and jesus and i was like oh okay um so jeff (laughs) he kind of walked me through those periods of like identity um so i would show up to christ fellowship um, in miami the church we're at and i would have a jewish star gold jewish star gold teeth um and dreadlocks and he would and yes, I know it was this weird combination. Trying to envision it, but it I, was this <laughs> kid with a like just trying to figure out who he was. So I had the Jewish star because I still like my mom believed in like the Old Testament, which I, I say like still believe. I still believe in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, I just you know there was a, it held a different importance to me back then. Yeah, and so um, I had a Jewish star um, that I you know was holding on to, you know those those parts of me. Um, that, rep- that represented that, that part of me. And then my teeth, um, I had six to the bottom and six to the top gold teeth. Um, and they said, praise Jesus in them. And so, <laughs> and so I, I, I am, I am, uh, I wanted to be a walking billboard for Jesus. So that's what I told myself. And wow. so, uh, man, I, and you know, Jeff was like, all right, let's go. Come on. And so he had me greedy kids at the door, you know, it's through the ministry, um, he had me moving chairs. He gave me an internship and, um, I ended up getting a job at the church and, um, you know, as a maintenance guy. And then, so I had, I think I had three jobs at the church at one point. I was a security guard for them, maintenance, and I was an intern. Um, and so I kind of made the church my home. Like I was there 24 seven, um, anything that would happen, like, I just, I wanted to be there. And that is where I was able to kind of, you know, become you know, whoever God wanted me to become, that's where I cried out and I, I learned to pray. I learned to just worship him. Um, that's where I spoke my first message. That's where I led my first Bible study. That's where um, I started to um, hire kids from the hood um, and pay them through my paycheck um, and started to kind of disciple them through that means. Like, you know, I was paying them, I think, 30 bucks a month. Um, but that 30 bucks a month back then paid for your phone bill. And so ah. that's what they, you know, <laughs> and so it was, it was able to pay for their phone bill. They, have, they were able to have a phone. Um, and then their mom started calling me because they needed groceries. And I was like, whoa, I only, I only have 30 bucks a month to offer. And they're like, we need eggs. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so it's just like this, this kind of like these moments of like, man, I'm, I'm, pu- I'm just put in a lot of positions that kind of helped develop who I was. When I didn't know who I was, I clung to, 
Jesus. I clung to, um, man, being able to help people and love people. And I think God um, gave me a safe place to do that at mm-hmm. Christ Fellowship under Jeff, where I could wear two polar opposite things that fit, but just communicated something confusing <laughs> to the world. It's just like, they're like, people look at me like, what are you? Like, are you a unicorn? What is happening? And so that's kind of, you know, how that whole, the growth started. And then over time, I, you know, became a youth pastor. Um, I worked for free for the church for like two years. Um, didn't have money for gas, you know, and I finally got hired on um, as a youth pastor at Christ Fellowship. And um, now I remember, I remember being hired on and being, I think I was 19 or 20. I think I was 19 when I first got, when I first got hired as a middle school pastor. Uh, sorry, I was middle school and high school. And uh, it was, it was a, a church in the Redlands in Miami and um, a group of 60 kids. And, you know, they were like, Hey, you know, want to see what, what God's going to do. And so we grew into a hundred kids and celebrating all that. And then there was, you know, a time where I couldn't be on time to anything. Like I was late <laughs> to every single thing. It was just like this. Uh, anyway, I makes me want to throw up. Um, and I had a great boss who said, "Hey, if you're late one more time, you're done." Ooh. And he loved me, and he loved what God was doing. Hundred kids were growing, like things, like the ministry was happening. Good things were happening. But he said, "If you're late one more time," and at this point, I was working two jobs. We were working at Pet Boys because me and I were married. And she was in nursing school. She couldn't work. So I was like, all right. So I had to work two jobs um, until she got finished with school. And so I was working at Pet Boys and a youth pastor part-time. And he said, if you're late one more time, you're done. And the next day, the next day, I was late. The next day. You think at that point you put alarms on? You're like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. You know, I overslept, was late. And he said, you're done. And it didn't matter all what God was doing. He was teaching me a lesson that I hadn't been taught yet. And mm-hmm. so these steps along the way, even in ministry, where I'm like, God, like I, this is my identity. He, God was like, your identity is not in the work. It's in me. And mm-hmm. so kindly, t- constantly teaching me these lessons, teaching me things, you know. And so I was out of ministry for about a year. And I had a buddy who was playing a, a, a church on Miami Beach. And so we uh, decided, okay. God's kind of calling us to the beach. And so we left our one, one, one bedroom apartment, uh, paying $700 a month in Miami, which is Ooh. unheard of. Never going to happen again, $700. Um, and we would still be paying that right now because the guy who owned it was a church guy. And he's like, hey, y'all pay $700 for the rest of your life. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> um, and so we left that and moved to Miami Beach and doubled our rent. Um, and I was working at Pet Boys still. And we were driving back and forth for a long time. Um, and then we decided to move there. So we doubled our rent. And uh, and then um, I worked for the church again for free for about a year. And then that's when I got hired on to help plant the church at Miami Beach. And we did that for about two or three years. I became the, the campus pastor at the Miami Beach campus at the Fillmore um, Theater. And then they closed that church down. And then Jeff was like, what are you doing? I was like, I was like, I don't know, man, bring me to Nashville. And so we went to Nashville and that was it. And wow. God's been kind of faithful ever since. So wow, that's kind of how I got here. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh my gosh. That's crazy. I love yes. it. We'll be right back after this short break. TN Voices is now hiring qualified applicants to fill positions all across the state. You can be part of a growing team that puts the mental health of Tennesseans first and thrive in a compassionate work environment. To apply to join our team, log on to tnvoices.org employment. Welcome back. Chef, I'm going to I'm going to ask you this. And this is where we begin to continue to get candid. So we talk about, all right, this yeah. is what got you here. I think about this day and age, uh, a lot of research, and I even speak from even personal experience, the amount of individuals who no longer either attend church, and even more, the amount of individuals who are no longer believers that once used to be. Yep. I think about the, the the group that you're in, 
but mm-hmm. I know with the group that you you work with now, that middle school age, that is a prime age of yeah. you're going through so much. Mm-hmm. And they're they're at the height of well, I'm not gonna say at the height, but they're in the midst of their identity crisis as mm-hmm. things are changing in their world. And especially think about where we are now. I tell people, well. I don't know if we're past pandemic, if we're in the pandemic, if we're we're somewhere around there. All right. Yeah. We're working yeah. through it. We're working through it. But I think about those kids who fear being able to talk about their faith. How would you encourage them to to be able to say, hey, this is a part of who I am? And while this may be outside of norm right now. How do how do we encourage them to still be comfortable to talk about religion or their faith or how they're feeling about it and their inaction? Yeah, yeah. I think when you think about uh, a person being comfortable to talk about faith, you got to understand um, a couple of things. I think the first thing you understand is if you aren't fully invested with your own kind of like if, if you're not all like kind of the blood, sweat, and tears model, like you know, once you've given blood, sweat, and tears to something. Um, you're invested. And so, um, and, and at that point, you're comfortable anywhere around it, you know, because you, you invested, you know, blood, sweat, tears, tears into it. Um, and when it comes to your faith, it's no different. Um, so if, if the kid is not invested, like if there's not their decision, um, which that's where we kind of come to a head with our middle school kids. Um, at a certain age, um, it's always going to be mom and dad's faith, you know, um, because mom and dad's bringing the church, mom and dad are probably praying with them, you know, at, at night, they're probably praying with them at the dinner table. They're probably, you know, trying to do family devotionals that probably last for like six months and they stop, last three months and they stop. You know, there's like these times, I'll trust I'm, I'm there, so I know, I know, like, we're going to read Genesis all the way through all year. Six months in, we're like, man. Chapter six, chapter. we're done. <laughs> we're done. Or let's watch Veggie Tales. I don't know. Got, can somebody tuck, can somebody read Veggie You know, like, we, we're not doing this. <laughs> Yes. Or we'll start next year. Oh. I don't know, you know, so and, and there's those families, especially in the South. There's that, you know, um, that understanding, like, hey, we're we, we're a Christian family, and so the kids kind of, you know, they're in it, you know, because the family, the mom and dad are in it. Once they once they have to make that decision themselves, things come a, a little different, and I think that's when the blood, sweat, and tears happen, and so, um, and that's why you see, that's why you see the 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 big drop off. Um, after high school, because at that point, it's when, okay, now you got to start putting your blood, sweat, and tears into it. And when you start doing that, it becomes your your own and your, and then they become comfortable to talk about it because they've had that investment component to it. If you can, if I can get a kid in middle school to start putting blood, sweat, and tears into their faith at an early age. Now, when I say blood, I'm talking about Mission trip work. You know, I was gonna have dab you know. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, I'm not talking about like you're like, oh sacrifice like sacrifice. No, I'm just I'm just saying, mm-hmm. like you're working mission work, you know, you're out there, you get cut, you get nicked up, like, oh man, and it's like you're helping an old lady, but you get cut by her fence, whatever. You may get bloody. Um, but like when you when I, if I can get a kid to start to get that experience, those experiences early on. And they can start getting that buy-in of like, okay, I'm invested into this. Then we can start to see that comfortableness start to kind of happen. Um, one, one of the, the comfortableness to share, one of the things I have is exposure leads to expansion. So I'm, I'm constantly trying to expose middle school kids to different parts of ministry, different lives of ministry, different ways of ministry. Um, because I think once they get that exposure, that real exposure, their personal exposure, not mom and dad's exposure, mom and dad sharing their life experiences of what they've been through with Jesus. And, and those are all nice to hear, but they hear stories so much that sometimes they go in and out of the ear. And it's like, man, I've shared my faith with my kid. I hope that sticks. Until their faith is practiced and lived out, it won't stick like you want it to. It may stick to the point where they'll go to church and they won't rebel. They may go to the service and they won't rebel. But if you want them to be, um, it, it's a stick where they can feel comfortable in a classroom setting to say, let me tell you why my faith in Christ is real and how it's proven to be real over my circumstances and my exposure, then you're not going to really see that until they get it and live it themselves. And so I'm constantly about, man, let's get out and let's do ministry. Let's go feed the homeless. Um, and let's go downtown. Let's go see how people are living. 
Um, let's go um, to help these project connects and part of 615 and let's go do, let's go rub elbows with them and, and see what kind of mission work they're doing and people who are, you know, coming out of addiction and, you know, and all this is done in a safe, you know, environment where, where we can keep our kids safe because that's my main priority. And so I never want to put my kids in an unsafe environment, but man, we know that there are some places that have created some safe places for kids to see and be exposed, but not be harmed. And so I'm always constantly looking for, you know, positions and postures to put them in like that so they can see those things. Because I know at an early age that they can see those things and shed some sweat, so a little bit of blood, um, and they can see some things that can make them cry and move them to say, oh my goodness, I didn't know this was out there. I know then they can move into a space where they can feel, I don't care where I am. I know what I've experienced. I know what I've been exposed to. And I can share that wherever I am, whenever I am, around whoever I am, because I know what I've experienced myself. And I don't, I don't know if that answers your question, but I just it think does. that 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 exposure is what middle school, high school, they all need it. And once they get exposed to certain things, I mean, have y'all been to a mission trip before? Have y'all been missions overseas? Oh, yeah. Not overseas. Okay. Not overseas. Okay. So I've never left the country. Well, actually, I have. I went to Mexico on a cruise ship. But other than that. <laughs> I have not done a mission trip yet. I have not. Okay. So those are the ones that have wrecked me the most. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. I've, been to, I've been, been to Haiti. I've been to been Dominican Republic and I've been to South Africa. And those have been, when I came back, I'm like, I don't want AC ever again. <laughs> it's just like, this is something similar as small as that. It's like, and it just, it, you won't be the same. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, go. Oh, I, I was just kidding. Yeah, yeah, you go say ahead. what you're going to say then. I'll <laughs> tell, okay. I would say, you'd ask if you answered the question and I would say, yes, you, you just told us a lot about, well, the experiences that we, we've gone through. And I think about what we do, we, we employ a, a lot of individuals with lived experience, those who have gone through, through something, be it mental health, uh, substance use, and those who are parents who are now professionals of children with mental health concerns. They yeah. are going out and what they're doing is telling their story of, well, this is what I've been through. This is how I've gone through it and this is how i've overcome it and you can do the same it may not look your story may be different from mine but the outcome could be that hey we're resilient and we've been able to push through and we can help someone else so yes yes you answered the question i really appreciate that yeah i was thinking a lot about well a number of things one we were talking about parents and you know kids kind of living their parents religion their parents beliefs that kind of thing how how often I as a parent make the mistake of, okay, I need to pour into you. I need to tell you all these things that I experienced so that you believe. Yeah. Instead of trying to draw out of them mm-hmm. where they are, what they're experiencing, and what's creating their questions and their beliefs and their concerns and their mind. Mm-hmm. And um I don't know. I just feel like, you know, listening to what you said for parents who are listening, maybe that's a tip for all of us is mm. sometimes better to just stop talking and start asking questions and questions. listening and make it okay for kids to question whether they do buy into this or not. I think that's something that kids are scared to say to parents when they know their parents are strong believers, but if they yep. could get their questions answered. Yep. So how, you know, as a parent, I'm thinking through making it okay to say, I don't know, this doesn't feel real to me. Because that, mm-hmm. I think, is what I saw at, at camp. Some kids came to me for counseling and said, I'm not sure it was real for me when mm-hmm. I accepted Christ and experienced salvation in my young years of life. It yep. Now something feels real and this yep. experience that I'm having and yep. it was hard to tease out in some scenarios. I mean, some of them, some of them, you know, saying to a child, well, actually, you're now experiencing the Holy Spirit. Like you're experiencing that, that movement of the Holy Spirit that's drawing you to the Lord, you know, and you've right. never felt that before because you were on, you, you had childlike faith. I mean, you, right. you know, you were just, so, man, those are all really important, I think, things for family, conversations for families to have. But making it an open, comfortable space for kids to say whatever is in that little head because it needs to come out, whether it's right or wrong, whether we don't want to hear it as a parent or we do, it's still better for it to come out and 
to be in the environment. But I, I was thinking too, something about your story. You talked about like this whole story was shaped on your identity crisis, if you will, mm-hmm. like this, this little juxtaposed, like what is going on with me? Who am I? Yeah, and now right. you're, you're in the heart of working with kids at that very position in life where they're trying to figure <laughs> out who am I? And That's I'm thinking like, isn't it awesome though, how God uses somebody's true life experience to put you yeah. in a place that gives you more passion for yeah. where kids are right now. Cause I will tell you after camp, I was like, I can do without middle schoolers for just a little while. <laughs> no, not mine. The 13 I had were awesome. Oh, of course. Of course. But the other 450 <laughs> were driving me crazy. And oh, I was yeah. thinking, how does he do this all the time, week after week? And no matter yeah. where I go, what I do, whether it's the 4th of July celebration we had, whether it's church on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, you're always there. You're always yeah. there, either directing traffic to get to the right place <laughs> or whatever. And I think, yeah. you know, you've got to have, just like we do for mental health, you've got to have that passion, that drive for yeah. where students are. So for that, the fact that my kids are benefiting from your life experience, thank you for that. Because oh, I I'm, sometimes I need them to go hear from somebody else. Yeah, yeah. And my kids will need to hear from you at some point. Yes. I'm you. Oh my God. Yes. yes. And then the last thing I was going to say, and I was really just kind of thinking through what you were talking about with, you know, shaping kids' beliefs and values and, and religion. But I was thinking more, I was thinking of it more in the realm of spirituality. Mm-hmm. Like one of the reasons why, and Will, you asked the question, you know, how to make kids comfortable talking about their faith and and valuing their faith. And and I was just thinking about how intimate spirituality is. It is a Mm -hmm. form like sharing your own spiritual journey, your own spiritual practices, your beliefs and values. It is a form of intimacy because that's a very, you know, um, that's a part that we've kind of been told we needed to just keep deep buried inside and not bother other people with that. Right. Right. And, and in some ways that has really, I think hurt kids in their spiritual development. And I believe, and I've said this on other podcasts that every person has physical, mental, social, and spiritual parts of themselves, Mm -hmm. every single person. And it's not about your religion or your faith or your values. There's a spiritual part of you that you have to address one way Mm -hmm. or the other you have to because yeah. it exists. And so obviously for you and I on this, you know, having this conversation for us that relates to feeling that spirituality with the Holy Spirit and understanding our walk with the Lord and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think kids really, I think about how awkward they are in forming relationships. Like I see yeah. it, you know, this is happening in my house right now with the 14-year-old yeah. where I like this guy today and tomorrow. I don't like him anymore. And it's like, oh, there's yeah. so much going on there. They don't know how they feel. They don't know what they want. They don't know who they like. It's changing all the time. And I think that's true with spirituality for this age. Mm. And it's, it's like, how how do we as parents continue to just foster that comfortability with intimacy of spiritual sharing and spiritual needs and yeah, I, it's hard. Yeah, one it's, one thing I hear from from the kids, um, and this is a, with spirituality and just in life in general. Um, I always talk to a kid, kids, and I'm like, so why come? Why don't you tell your parents like the things you're telling me? They say because they freak out, chef. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like they they they, they freak out. And they don't know how to handle it. I'm like, oh, and so I don't know like, that that's helpful for me to hear as I you know parent my my kids. Um, yeah, I know it's hard to keep calm when you hear certain things. Yeah, but the more you can keep calm and not overreact or not have a, you could be, you can be literally losing your mind inside of your body. Um, but if your face would communicate, we're gonna work through this, and I'm calm. If yeah. you could do that, <laughs> the kids can develop a trust. And it sounds so weird because I know I've lost my mind. I'm like, what? You did what? You can't draw your sister's forehead with chalk. I'm like, whatever it is. 
you know, just permanent marker. Like you can't do that. Um, and so, but if you can keep calm and we can, as parents keep calm when our kids share those things that are just like heart wrenching for us, mm-hmm. they will come back to the well for more. They will come back and trust us with more, yeah. even with, and especially with spiritual stuff. So yeah. like the, the thing that your parents, your kids would never want to do, they don't want to, especially at middle school age, mom and dads are still the heroes. You're like, no, my kid hates me. No, I'm telling you, deep down in middle school, still, they literally, I don't say worship you, but you are their heroes. Yeah. And if you can continue to foster that trust and keeping calm, they, they're going to eventually start to come to you with more and more and more, especially yeah. spiritual stuff. And so, yeah. mama, I'm leaving, I'm leaving God. Okay, let's talk about that. And so, we, we are a Christian house. We, are, we you know, ask for me and my house, we will love the Lord. That's going to be, that's going to, no, I'm saying it's going to mess that's it up. That's not going to help. <laughs> All right, let's talk about it. Simple. Yeah. And And I was thinking too, okay, so a little throwback. This will be my final question. I too was a youth pastor, minister, whatever you want to call me. PK. At 19. (laughs) At 19. Oh, oh, you were youth pastor at 19. Oh, nice. So it was a little bitty country church in Puckett, Mississippi. Okay. Population of 300. Okay. Oh my goodness. Woo. I'm pretty sure there just was nobody else willing. And so they were like, Are you willing? And I said, Yes. <laughs> so yeah, hi, um, let's go. Anyway, I was thinking back about what were the things that were going on with kids at that stage, but I'm I'm 41 now. And okay. I was 19 then. So yeah. here's my question to you. What trends? I mean, we're okay, so we're in mental health. We see stuff. We see kids, we see all the things happening with their mental health. What are you seeing that's going on with kids? Like kind of top of the list stuff that just keeps coming up over and over that you're like, oh, this is bad for kids right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, obviously top of the list is going to be social media. Yeah. Uh, Snapchat in middle school runs runs the world. Yeah. And you may think it's TikTok, Instagram, it's Snapchat. Yeah. And it's because of the idea of being able to post and delete mm. and it be gone forever. That is so enticing for a middle school kid. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out why, um, yeah. but there's something to the idea of I can post something and delete it and hurt and hide and no one ever know mm. or express hurt and delete and no one ever know and kind of get a release. I, I'm still... I'm still working on kind of diagnosing, I guess you could say, what yeah. the 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 enticement is for middle school, but they they are addicted to Snapchat. Yeah. Addicted. Uh, and they can't really fully understand how to use it yet. Um, there was a girl who had to leave camp because she Snapchatted a girl, screenshot, and um, sent to a girl, and um, and the girl screenshotted it. And so, and got caught. But they understand that like, we can also screenshot when you Snapchat certain things. So if you screenshot something fast enough, you know, you can, you know, catch somebody. But if you don't, you mess up, whatever. Um, so there's something about that for, for kids right now that has allowed them to dissociate. Um, and, you know, they're just, they allow, they're, they're able to dis- distract themselves from reality mm-hmm. through Snapchat. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I think right now that's top of the list. And you know, with that, you have all you have all things. You have bullying, you have sexting, you have all of that that's happening on that platform because it's able to hurt and hide in that space. Yeah. And so if your kid has it, I mean, I've already told my kids um, at an early age, you're not having a, a smartphone um, in my house. Like, if you can afford it when you leave, just go ahead. Um, but even if you're in my house and you're 18 years old, you're living here. Like at 18, okay, they can have a smile, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so once they turn 18, that's what I'm saying. You can have your own phone and you can buy whatever phone you want. But until 18, I'm going to try to protect them as much as I can yeah. with a flip with a flip phone. And so, and I know they're probably going to get a burner phone because you, so burner phones are real. <laughs> yeah, Kids are bringing phones to school for their friends and literally using them. Um, and so there's things that I literally, I'm not going to be able control. I know that. And so, uh, I understand that part of it, 
But I think for my part, I'm going to allow them to not have any smart devices mm-hmm. or social media until, you know, they're 18. I know that's strict. I know that's, I know that's, uh, I know that's kind of out there. <laughs> um, it's and not. Extreme, we don't have social just, media in our house either. None of us, okay. parents included. Okay. It, it's, it's just one of those things where the anxiety, the numbers are there. I mean, you can look at yeah. the anxiety, depression, the stress, the suicide rates, everything is just through the roof once you introduce social media. Yeah. Um, so. Yep. That's helpful. And vaping. Like, oh my gosh. what in yeah. the world? Yes. That is the, that is the thing. I mean. Yeah. I, I don't. Is, they don't see until, until the kids see. Um, I guess, I guess it comes to the FDA and I think they started, the FDA started to crack down on some things that like you can't, they can't sell jewels at the um, gas station. Now I saw the new report. Um, and so as that starts, starts to come, come on a crack, you'll see it kind of trickle down to kids and they won't do as much, but I mean, it's just so accessible right now. And so yeah. what, you know, they're saying with, 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 with what you do in moderation, kids doing excess. And so, you know, they introduced something that was so accessible and moderation that tasted good. It wasn't cigarettes that taste bad. Uh, it tastes good and you can blow smoke out of your mouth. Oh. So yeah. they're paying top dollar. I mean, so it's it's probably and I mean, if I had to put a number on it, I mean, over sixty percent of parents, I mean, kids are probably, you know, yeah. involved with it at some point or I yeah. try it at a party or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's oh my high. goodness, that quote, what you do in moderation, kids do in excess. Yeah. Let's make, I mean, mm-hmm. that is huge. I want, I want to make sure listeners hang on to that one because I think yeah. that is true in so many ways. In, yeah. Yes. Wow. Wow. Man. All right. Well, last thoughts for you. I, I promise I'm, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> no, no, you, you are, you are good. It is, it's so much that, that you've given us to, to work with, Jeff. And it's one, uh, the fact that our grandmothers had the same last name, random connect there. And the random story from my end, and I think my parents would be okay with me sharing this. My my father uh, in elementary school, you look at his report cards and it was uh, last name Harris. So my my grandparents were never married. And um, when my grandmother married my step grandfather she started signing willie boss all the way up through high school well when my parents were getting ready to get married they were like we don't have a, there's nothing on file for willie boss there's no oh his name was harris yes and my you never told me this <laughs> oh my goodness my mother, my mother will tell the story she started bawling crying like who am i marrying <laughs> so oh my, my step grandfather had to legally adopt my my uh my father so that we could keep the last name balls so no way all of that to say as random as some of our stories may be someone else is going through exactly what we have been through all over the world yep. so we tell everybody who comes on here that you've helped someone you have connected with someone so just through sharing your story, I, I want to personally say thank you, thank you, thank you. This will not be the last time we have you on because you have truly helped a listener out there. And now my boss is shocked because I can't. I my mind be, is I, I may need right to add now. her to my ancestry tree. There could be <laughs> <laughs> y'all could be related. <laughs> I mean, we have this thing where we we go by boss and boss. Uh, but go. now I think we should just be the Harrises or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's amazing. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that little nugget, Willie Voss Harris. Hey, this is the yeah. candid podcast, so you learn more and more each episode. There it I'm is. Telling you, I'm telling you. I love that. Well, Chef, it's been a pleasure. I cannot thank you enough for coming on and taking the time for this and for hanging out and loving on my kids while they're at church. So I appreciate you so much. It's a pleasure. I'm telling you, it's a real pleasure. I appreciate y'all having me on. Thank y'all for what you're doing. This is, this is helpful. I didn't know y'all existed and um, I'm, I'm glad I found you guys. I'm glad y'all found whatever, how, how this happened. But um, yeah. I think y'all are doing some real good work. I think mental health is huge, um, especially in, in teenagers and middle school and high school adults. So it's just, this is helpful. This is really good. 
really good. Awesome, awesome, thank awesome. You, you, well, enjoy your Wednesday off. I will. All right. All right See you care. soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed today's program, like, subscribe, and review this podcast. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health support services, log on to tnvoices.org or call 1-800-670-9882. Join us next time as we Get Candid.